Hello. My name is Audrey, and this is my husband, Henry. Mm. We don't want to hurt you or your baby. We feel this would be the best way for you to go missing. Morning. Here to clean your drive. No, no, everything's okay. Thank you so much for the book. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Assuming you've seen some ghosts, huh? No one has more time than a grieving family. We can do this. He's coming back to us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, Satan worshippers. Yes, I am doing very good, Mike. How you doing? I am doing well. We are getting down to the nitty-gritty of 2020, so it's always nice to see something pop up that's uh, easily accessible for everyone, and not to mention that there's quite a bit of people saying good things about this one. Mm-hmm. on going in so you know doesn't guarantee that any of us are going to like it but i'll say it's it's not a bad thing to start hearing a lot of good stuff <laughs> so <laughs> uh joining us also it's don and ellie i hope everyone is very familiar with him by now how's it going don hey what's going on man yeah once again always happy to be here <laughs> All right, well, the movie I was referencing uh, just a few seconds ago would be Anything for Jackson. It is is currently streaming on Shudder, so if you got Shudder, give it a watch if you haven't already. Um, but uh, and if, if you don't got Shudder, I don't know what to say. Get Shudder. That's that's what I'll say. <laughs> and let's see. Let's see the synopsis on IMDb. A bereaved Satanist couple kidnap a... Uh, this, oh, shit. I, I feel like that. I shouldn't even say any of that synopsis. Cause... Uh, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but not much. Oh, actually, yes, it is. It's an absolute spoiler now that I think about it. Because I had no idea this movie was about what it was about going into it. You know, you, yeah. you, you know, you know me, I don't read synopses and things like that. So I mean, fairly early on, fairly early on, we we know something's up with the couple because right. obviously the opening scene, but we don't know exactly what the hell it is. Mm-hmm. But, well, I like uh, it. I, I, yeah. Well, well, we'll get into that. I'm sorry. I, I was about to jump into general thoughts already. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'll just say, I mean, it'd be better if they just said like, a bereaving a bereaving couple or something and not even say what they are but anyways a couple uh they're up to something because they're <laughs> bereaving a family member and uh <laughs> like the title says they let's do just, anything let's just for go jackson with this. let's just <laughs> go with this 
uh, a couple who recently lost their grandchild go to extreme lengths to get, to try to get him to return. There, let's go with that. Boom, synopsis. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, um, with that, it's general thoughts time. Venom, let's stick with the uh, old tradition of you going first. To what are your general thoughts on anything for Jackson? Uh, I love this movie. This was great. This was a really, really good film. Not ultra action packed, very subtle. Um, but you've get, you get so many elements here. You get elements of, uh, cult films, you get elements of haunted house films, you get elements of captivity films. Uh, you know, I just, when I get different flavors like that in the same movie, I, you know, I, I tend to really appreciate that. I, you know, I, I raved about Satan slaves a couple of years ago, how that movie is a cult film. It's a zombie film. It's a, it's a curse film. It, you know, it has so many elements to it. And we get another, maybe not to the extreme of Satan's Slaves, but definitely uh, we get some multiple subgenre flavors here in this movie. Um, but we got some, you know, we get some great performances from everyone involved. Um, there's one person uh, who maybe is a little, I don't know, I, it, maybe it's not his performance necessarily so much as the character. Um, just uh, a very off-putting character who belongs to the same group as the couple in the film who, you know, I'm still kind of on the fence on that character, but ultimately most of the other performances are all great. Uh, we've got some solid writing, you know, we've got some uh, very good cinematography and um, a, a really good score, actually a great score. I, I really like this score. There's some classic songs on here and then we even get a little bit of black metal uh, in the third act and during the closing credits, so that's a, a cool little variety there. Once again, the theme of variety is uh, coming back up again. So um, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a top 10 candidate for me because of the ending. Um, I kind of feel the same way about this movie that I felt about The Dark and the Wicked. This is a brilliant film uh, as far as the journey that it takes you on. You know, every, you're, you're riveted the entire time. You're invested in these characters, you know, you're you're um, you're really getting into the story. But then the ending has another one of those ambiguous endings, just like the dark and the wicked, which, you know, I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily unsatisfying. I know there's going to be a lot of people who are very satisfied with the ending and that's cool. I would like a little bit more just just because it leaves a very open question at the end of the film, which, you know, like I said, some people like that kind of ambiguity. Others don't. I'm usually on the fence when it comes to stuff like that. I don't, I've always said, I don't necessarily need my endings handed to me on a silver platter, but I also would like to know how the hell it ended. <laughs> like there's, you know, I, I have some very major questions about the end of this movie and, and that's really a minor nitpick. I'm not saying that it's necessarily a major flaw in the film, but the film is so good that I got to find stuff to, you know, you, you guys know me. I got to try to bring some kind of criticism to any film that I review. And the ending is going to be the thing that I'm solidly kind of uh, going to be talking about the most once we're done with our spoiler section. But ultimately, great film. Really enjoyed it. It's it's uh, like I said, the, the variety is amazing. Uh, very little that you can nitpick about the movie. Um, but I just don't see it quite making my top 10. But there is still a chance because I did rate it very high. So it does kind of fall in that like top 20 
uh, movies that I rated the highest as the year goes. So, you know, in the coming weeks, I will definitely be rewatching this again. I watched it twice this weekend. Um, and, you know, potentially it could sneak into my like number 10 or nine spot, but it's going to be um, it, it's not likely going to make it up there. But I am I am hearing a lot of other podcasters saying that, you know, for them, it is an absolute top 10 candidate. So, you know, uh, it, just minor differences of opinion, but ultimately great film, really enjoyed it. I will definitely be revisiting this soon. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, I was going to get into something, but I'll wait till after Don. So Don, how, uh, how did you, uh, like, or not like anything for Jackson? Um, so in a complete distance from everything I've said the last few weeks, I absolutely loved the, everything about this one. Um, I, I agree with so much about what he said, although I do have absolutely no issues with the ending. I I understand where he's coming from. It took me a couple of times to figure it out. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if it's as controversial an ending as The Dark and the Wicked was, which I know was an issue of contention when we brought that one up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, um, I think this is incredibly clever. I think it's a really enjoyable mix of genres. I think they pull it off well, I think the scares work. I think the action works. I think I think the majority of this film is dependent upon how we get introduced to it, because this is such a complete tonal change from what you're expecting to what we get later on. That I, I, I it's really the part of the film that sells it for me is that we get dropped into it with such an incredibly disparate opening and then it just changes tones constantly and it goes from this seemingly lighthearted not necessarily horror comedy but just like a lighthearted romp to this chilling suspense tale that involves you know sacrifices and you know occult ceremonies and hauntings and i mean you know you heard venom's list all of that's included in here it does it incredibly well and I'm one of those. I'm not just saying this is top 10 as of right now. I still have a few more films to deal with. This is top three of the year for me. Um, Maybe it'll slip a little further if I have a few other watches to get to, but uh, I see very, very little of what I have left to to get through bumping it further down than that. So Mm -hmm. as of right now, top three top five or six when I'm finished with everything, but I doubt it'll be further down the list than that. Nice. Cool. Well, yeah, I also enjoyed the movie a lot. Um, like right off the bat, I could, I'll say for me, it's definitely a contender to get on the top 10. I, for me, I haven't gone back too much yet and really thought, a lot uh, it, it's like i have like i'd say three to four movies i know definitely that are just such standouts in my mind i know they're going to be there but like for the rest of the list i i just have like a lot of mix of like it could it couldn't and it's just going to come down to like that week we're taking off to like really go back and maybe have some rewatches and like figure out the nuances of each movie watching them second second or third time um but I will say that this is at least a contender 
to be on the list. So yeah, I liked it a lot. I like how the you know the movie started off with just giving us little hints about what was ultimately going on. I like the the build, the escalation. I do agree that it there was a couple moments like in that first act where I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be laughing <laughs> or not. It's it was almost like um, a dark drop of comedy without without trying to be like jokey or intentionally like funny it was more circumstantial before you really like dig into what's going on or as the pieces of the puzzle start to come together you almost find it comedic at first because you're like they're doing what it's these people are doing that (laughs) so you kind of get a kick out of it but then as things escalate and get darker obviously once they keep going on the path of what they're doing it you know it becomes full-on like okay we're we're getting dark here things are taking a turn and ultimately i think mm-hmm. um we get the conclusion we get now i will say the difference uh i i the uh, the comparison to the ending of dark and the wicked i will say the difference to me is i didn't find the ending to dark and the wicked so much ambiguous as just a very sudden and um mm-hmm. abrupt abrupt that's a word i was i was like what's the other word i was thinking of <laughs> abrupt it you, you pretty much know how it ends but it's just like yeah. you get that ending and then credits roll this one i think there's a couple things that actually happen in that final sequence that you're like okay i i saw what i just saw but what exactly mm-hmm. is that supposed to mean um now some people have a bigger problem with it some people have a lesser problem with it, it just you know that depends on personal preference but uh, i I did what I usually do anytime I have questions like that. I, I oh, I'll, you know, Google and Screen Rant. That so that website is usually pretty good, um, providing like what their interpretation or explanation is. So I read through that, and once we're in spoilers, we'll kind of see what we all think, and I'll mention that because mm-hmm. it's the, the explanation from them seemed pretty well or pretty well thought out and explained. So I, I was satisfied with what I read, but doesn't mean it's a hundred percent correct. So, anyways, just so generally speaking, really had fun with this. It's a, one of those, you know, late year uh, movies that drops in and could shake up people's lists potentially. So that's never a bad thing to happen in December of all months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I reading the IMDb synopsis right now, man, they do they do this movie a disservice. There's no reason to put that much information in there. I, I am so happy. This is why, folks, I'm happy that I don't watch trailers and read synopses. Because literally in the first act of the movie, I can get surprised because I didn't read the synopsis. So I don't know who these two people are. Literally, the third word of the synopsis on IMDb gives away a major plot point. A plot point that surprised the hell out of me. Um, I'm not sure if that's the same plot point that Mike's talking about that surprised him. But, yeah, it's just you see this quirky little, you know, older retired couple or almost retired anyway. The gentleman is still working. Uh, but, yeah, it, it it's just it comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, you think it's going towards like a witchcraft angle. And then, you know, the very next scene, they go to a community center for a meeting and it completely changes the tone of the film. And I fucking love that. It kept me on my toes and I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, uh, folks, don't read synopses anymore on IMDb. They're, they're just giving away way too much information. This is terrible. Uh, yeah, especially, I would say especially any like... Uh, 
website. Yeah, where it's like, well, we don't know who exactly is putting these in because it's like, I could see what they were going for with that synopsis, but I'm like, there's no reason to even like detail it that much. Yeah, it's easily left much. it more ambiguous. Like I said, the one-line synopsis that I came up with on the fly was ambiguous enough that you you get an idea of what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a an older couple who are doing something nefarious to another person, blah, 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 and you don't know why. Boom. That's all you need to know. If that sounds like something, if you're a fan of captivity movies like Misery, things like that, then this is going to be right up your alley. Uh, if you're a fan of, um, I don't know... Um, well, and that's the problem, too, is that any other plot points that give away storyline is a spoiler. And I don't really want to yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, folks, that we're being really vague right now, but it's just everything. The way that I experience the film, I wish other people could experience it going into it, not knowing anything and getting like, oh, wow, that's a surprise. Oh, wow, that's a surprise. Yeah. E- even the first even the setup of how this was, you know, because the very first thing we kind of see is we think this is like a, obviously it's the captivity thing first because the opening scene is the kidnapping. And then we kind of go into what, it seems like it's going into a haunted house uh, type situation when we see our first spirit in the movie. But then, like I said, sometime in the second act, then again we get the reveal of who this couple actually are and what they're doing, and it's like, oh wow, that is so great. So yeah, yeah. I'll just let's just try this. Anything for Jackson is a 2020 Canadian horror film available on Shutter that you need to watch. I'm down with that. Perfect. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is definitely, and then as far as recommendation goes, yeah, this is a high recommend for me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, I I feel that most horror fans need to check this out. Not necessarily, you know, this movie's not going to change the world, um, but they do, um, kind of like where last week we were talking about how unoriginal Don't Listen is, but this movie does some really cool original set pieces, stuff that maybe we haven't seen as much of in our genre. So, you know, I can see how uh, some people who are looking for the new, you know, the new and unusual are are going to gravitate towards this one more than Don't Listen, which is basically, like I like we said last week, a color by numbers kind of haunted house story. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, this movie's very high recommend. Like I said, I feel that most people need to check this out and it's on Shutter. So, I mean, if you have access to a Shutter account, no reason to not check this out before the end of the year. Especially if you are, or whether you are or are not a podcaster, but if you put together a top 10 list or a top 20 list, you know, for your own personal, you know, um, reference, then yeah, this is a movie that you need to check out before the end of the year. Because I think, I I got a feeling I'm going to see this on a few top lists, top 10s, top 20s at the end of the year. Because it it is a really good film. And it's a surprise of a film. Um, I actually had no idea who directed this film, but I was... Yeah, uh, should we... Yeah, go ahead. Let's do that. Let's do that now before the spoiler section. Yeah, talk about that. You seem to know more about it than anybody, so why don't you? Yeah. So, um, for those that don't know, the director of the film, Justin G. Dick, and I'm fairly certain that that's how his pronunciation, his last name is pronounced, because it's spelled D Y C K. So it's either Dick or Dyke or something like that. The man is a fairly prominent and prolific director of Hallmark Lifetime Christmas movies. Uh, you know, I mean, I wish I had pulled up the... Oh, I've got it. I wish we'd we... saved 
Yeah, if you want to go ahead and read off some of the titles. I oh, mean, we've, got, we've got Love and Harmony Valley. Uh, oh, let me look for some of the Christmas ones. Christmas in Paris. Christmas with a Prince. A Very Country of Christmas. Christmas Catch. Uh, a Christmas Village. Christmas... Oh, another Christmas with a Prince. Christmas with a View. Christmas Wedding Planner. Of Oh, there's A Very Country Christmas again. 48 Christmas Wishes. A Puppy for Christmas. Holy yeah. shit. It just keeps going. <laughs> yes. And then he pops this off on onto us. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the, the absolute definition of a surprise. Uh, and, I mean, I'm not even joking about the fact that as soon as the name popped up, I was about ready to call my mom in and tell, him to, tell her to watch this because she is an absolute devotee of those kinds of films and recognizes him. <laughs> from those films so i was about literally two seconds away from calling her in to say hey check this out with me and you got the new film for you know this guy made a new movie mm-hmm. yeah because yeah i probably would have liked so, it even more so he has <laughs> quite the december uh filmography at least december themed movies with the whole christmas thing but this one uh he decided to go a different route for uh or for December, it seems. I'm surprised he can still keep the Christmas theme and just go with the horror, but... Anything, I mean, you any, def- anything I mean, for Jackson for Christmas. <laughs> or it could have been Jackson for Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah. the sequel will be Christmas for Jackson, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great little piece of info because that's definitely something that the horror community is probably not on top of. Obviously, if you're a general cinephile, then you may recognize the name. Like Don said, if you are a fan of... Oh, I only know it because, yeah, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'm usually home with my family around the holidays right. anyway. So, yeah, that's what we have on oh, yeah. 24-7 understandable i mean yeah, yeah it's gonna start in a couple of days because it's they usually do it on the 15th or the 20th but ah gotcha yeah oh, like good times <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah i mean i mean what else can we say about this movie that's spoiler free i mean like i said we get some quirk, um, the some only thing that characters. i oh what's up well the only thing i was gonna say is is that outside of the director the only other name attached to the film is Julian Richling, the Mm -hmm. man who most everyone will probably recognize as the creepy janitor from Urban Legend. Yep. (laughs) I I swear I recognize him from something else too. Yeah, he's also uh, Three Finger from the first Wrong Turn. That's the one. Yep. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. (laughs) I because I knew I looked at his face and I'm like I picture him with some kind of prosthetic makeup on. Yeah, he's but I but uh, I recognize like the spatial structure of right yeah he's i I think he's three finger or yeah he's the main one i think he's either three finger or sawtooth i'm not sure he's yeah he's yeah he's the main one in the the first wrong turn cool yeah so we've got some horror alumni here that's good to go with our you know uh, hallmark director But I mean, yeah, um, like I said, as far as spoiler free, I mean, you know, we've already talked about some of the great performances, the score, uh, some really good editing throughout, like the, the, the horror gags, set pieces, whatever you want to call them, are all really well made. Um, even some very basic ones, in, in, you know, involving a, you know, a child in a, in a ghost costume and, and, you know, a sheet with the eyes cut out 
Uh, there's one of those scenes in this movie, and it's still an effective scare once it's actually done. So, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, if this is this guy's first horror movie, then kudos to him uh, because he's just made he's made a mark that some directors can't make, you know, 10 films into their horror career. So, yeah, kudos to uh, Justin there. But, yeah, um, if no one else if no one else has anything else, uh, we can move on to the walkthrough. Yeah, I've yeah. got nothing that needs. I've got enough. Everything else. Awesome. Probably All no right. spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our movie opens up in um, uh, a kitchen of a very nice house, very big, very really nice looking house. Not quite a mansion, just a very nice house. Uh, something that a doctor would live in. Go figure. Um, and the scene opens up with this, you know, like I said, this quirky little old couple in their kitchen talking about the length of the man's hemline on his pants, how he's saying that it looks like one of his hemlines is uneven from the other, and he makes a gag early on saying, I don't want people uh, mistaking me for one of those rapper guys, uh, which is absolutely adorable to hear an older person say rapper guy. And then his mm -hmm. wife replies with, trust me, no one's going to think that you're a rapper guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we get, you know, instantly we get a little bit of humor to kind of offset what's literally about to happen, because then at that point, the wife says, she's here, she's here, she's outside. We see the couple leave the room. Now, um, one thing I didn't mention, folks, is that entire, this entire cold open is a single shot. It's not a dolly shot. It's a static camera shot. So basically, we have a freestanding camera just in the kitchen showing the same, uh, you know, angle of the whole scene. So we actually see the couple, the old couple, leave the house. Uh, they go outside. We hear a little bit of a struggle outside. And then we see them come back through the front door. But this time, the older gentleman is actually, like, uh, forcefully dragging a woman into the house. Uh, they end up getting her in the house. They get her into one of those, like, little mini elevators that some older um, folks might have in their home. And they see the old man taking the young woman up uh, to the higher part of the house. And then we get our title card. Anything for Jackson. Um, when the titles are, uh, when the credits, opening credits are done... Uh, we see the kidnapped woman uh, whose name turns out to be Shannon. Uh, she wakes up tied to a bed with her mouth gagged. And she actually sees a little boy in front of her, like, actually talking to her. I think the line that he says is, uh, aloha means hello and goodbye in, in Hawaii. Something like that. Just one of those weird random statements that, uh, you know, a precocious little kid might stay, might say. It doesn't have any particular context to the conversation. He just spits it out. Um and then we see Audrey come in, and, and you can see that Audrey has an introduction written down on a piece of paper that she's about to read to Shannon. And what she basically says is, hello, my name is Audrey, and uh, this is my husband, Henry. Obviously, you know Henry because he's been your prenatal doctor for the last few months. Um, his name is Henry Walsh. He is still currently a prenatal doctor. I'm still seeing patients to this day. Uh, like I said, they introduce themselves. They let them know. They don't let her know specifically what their intention is quite yet, but they tell her that, you know, her safety and the safety of the baby are 
are of utmost importance to them. So that, you know, basically trying to make her feel at ease, you know, even though, yes, she's a captive against her will, they're trying to let her know we have no intention of hurting you or the child. This is just something that we have to do. And they just leave it at that. They don't actually, um, you know, get into what it is that they're going to do. So the very next scene, we see uh, Henry, uh, who's uh, Henry Walsh, the doctor. He goes outside, and then uh, he's on the phone with his wife, who's upstairs in the captive bedroom, in the bedroom where they've got this girl tied up on a bed. And Henry basically says, okay, go ahead. And what Audrey then, Audrey is his wife, what she ends up doing is going to Shannon and pulling her uh, gag off her mouth. Of course, Shannon at that point starts screaming at the top of her lungs. The camera then goes back outside to Henry, who's literally just outside his house, looking up at the window of the captive bedroom. And he doesn't hear anything. And uh, you can hear Audrey on the phone say, are you sure? You can't hear anything. It's absolutely silent. And Henry assures her, yes, no one can hear anything out here, blah, blah, blah. So uh, kind of kind of smart that Audrey and Henry perform a scream test, if you will. And that's when Audrey informs Shannon that the room is soundproofed. So, you know, no one is going to hear her anywhere outside of the house. So, you know, basically letting her know, I don't want to have to gag you, but I'm letting you know now that yelling at the top of your lungs is going to do nothing. So I would prefer you just be peaceful. Don't have any additional stress on the baby. Add any additional stress on the baby or the pregnancy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it becomes apparent pretty quick that they've been prepping. Like they didn't just do this on a whim. Exactly, yeah. Um, At that point, um, after the scream test, Shannon... Uh, again sees the little blonde boy uh, that she saw when she first came to after being kidnapped. Um, Audrey explains to Shannon that they had recently lost their grandchild and that they were about to do something that would bring him back to them. They don't, again, they don't get into the specific plan. They just say, we're doing this to save our grandchild. And then Shannon actually says, who, him? And she actually, like, with her eyes, points over at the little boy that she's looking at this second, playing with toys on the floor. The grandmother, or Audrey, I should say, reacts like oh, like she can't see Jackson. And instantly, she all, her eyes start to well up because she starts to realize that, oh boy, hopefully, you know, this is like the first sign that this is working. Jackson's presence is here in the house, so... Hopefully it'll make it whatever it is that we have to do later on easier, blah, blah, blah. So um, let's see. Um, Henry leaves for work that morning, but he is uh, cut off by a friendly neighbor named Rory. Uh, Rory is basically this kind of uh, do-it-yourself type guy who plows driveways and probably does other odd jobs to make a living. Um, Henry lets Rory know that there's no need to plow the driveway today because Audrey's sick. And he doesn't want Rory making any noise with his uh, snowblower. Uh, Rory offers to do it with a shovel. He says he'll be whisper quiet. But, of course, because of the fact that they have a pregnant woman tied up inside their house, Henry does everything he can to get rid of Rory as quickly as possible. Uh, We go back into the house where Audrey is seen um, somehow... Uh, she's able to get her phone. Uh, basically, Audrey pulls the phone out of Shannon's jacket, 
and puts it down on the end table next to the bed and accidentally forgets about it as she leaves to go take care of something else outside of the room. Uh, Shannon's able to reach for the phone and grab it, but just as she's dialing to get a, try to get a hold of someone, Audrey walks back into the room and uh, takes the phone back from her and again stresses to her, you know, please stop struggling. You know, we're trying to minimize the stress on the baby, blah, blah, blah. You know, very comforting, almost loving voice, you know, from Audrey. Very motherly. Uh, we then go to the doctor's office, uh, Henry's office, and that morning we see a despondent patient come into the um, office. He doesn't have an appointment, but he demands to see the doctor right away, and he actually lets it out that he might have HPV in front of all the people in the doctor's waiting room. Uh, the nurse... Uh, the doctor decides that because the the guy's being violent and loud that he will look at, he'll he'll talk to him first right away before all the people that are there for appointments. Uh, the nurse reminds him, oh no, don't forget this is uh, Shannon's going to be coming in. The doctor says, oh no no, she called and rescheduled her appointment, um, or or emailed. I, I forget if he said she called or emailed, but basically the receptionist who must be like a really good receptionist who's on the ball, basically says, well, I can't find an email or a voice message from Shannon. Are you absolutely sure that she called and rescheduled? Um, the doctor, who's obviously never committed a crime in his life because he kind of stutters on his words, basically um, says, oh, yeah, no, um, I saw her this morning because, as it turns out, Shannon actually lives fairly close to the doctor. And every morning they see Shannon walk by, you know, just doing her morning walk or morning exercise, um, which is why they, you know, were able to plan the uh, kidnapping so um, nicely. Um, so, like I said, the doctor tell, tells his receptionist, oh, no, uh, I spoke to her this morning at my house. Uh, she rescheduled her appointment for Friday, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of left alone there. But throughout the film, you can kind of see different instances of Henry kind of cracking under the pressure. It's very obvious that Audrey wants this to happen more than Henry does. Henry seems like he's just kind of a willing participant, whereas Audrey seems to be more the ringleader of this whole thing. Um, uh, let's see, where are we? Um, at this point, Audrey shows Henry... Um, a trick that she learned. Um, as it turns out, Henry and Audrey have this very ancient book. Um, looks very evil. It's got a you know fucked up evil looking cover on it. It's got a bunch of torn out pages. It's got pages that were slipped back in. So there's like oversized pages sticking onto the book. It just looks incredibly old. And basically what Audrey does is she ends up, she, she cuts her finger uh, very slightly just to be able to bleed a little bit. Uh, she finds a dead crow uh, in the snow near their house, just lying dead in the snow, like I said. Um, she puts a single drop of her own blood on the crow, and then she reads a passage from the book. And lo and behold, without having to wait at all, the crow comes back to life. And Henry is like, well, that's nice, but I mean, we just can't go around reviving dead animals. That's not why we got this book. And... Audrey kind of with a smile on her face says, oh, oh, really? Because I've been doing it all morning. Uh, apparently, she's just gotten enamored with the fact that she knows how to do a spell now. So she's been reviving dead animals all day. I actually thought that that was going to be something that was going to come back in the movie, like something that was going to come <laughs> back to haunt them. But unfortunately, yeah. now they just dropped that plot point, which is fine. Not a big deal. Um, 
So let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, where did I leave off? Henry shows. Audrey and Henry uh, end up meeting a guy named Ian outside of a community building. Um, Ian is a very odd looking guy. He's a ginger, but with pitch black eyes. Like the, I mean, he's got Michael Myers eyes, basically just the devil's eyes, just black as shit, but he's milk white, just pale as shit and ultra ginger. Um, you know, he doesn't look homeless, but he doesn't, but he also doesn't look like the cleanest guy around, you know, his clothes are a little tattered. He's wearing a pentagram around his neck, blah, blah, blah. So he looks like kind of your basic you know, metalhead loser, maybe, that you might have seen in high school. Uh, they end up uh, going into the community center. Oh, before they go into the community center, Ian actually makes a comment about he's still trying to find the book that they were looking for and that he thinks he's on the trail of the book, but he's not 100% sure. Um, Henry lets him know, oh, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. It was just a passing request. Um, after Ian walks away, Audrey kind of admonishes Henry you know, why did you ask him for the book? Now he knows that we were looking for it. You know, potentially he could tie us to something. Um, you know, Henry blows it off saying, eh, Ian's probably not smart enough to be able to do that. So, and he doesn't, and he really doesn't look it. He doesn't come off as the most intelligent, savvy guy out there. So blah, blah, blah. But as they enter the community building, uh, the community center, they go into a, a room in the back where there are a group of people all dressed in black robes, and there is a pentagram drawn on the table. Yes, we are dealing with a Satan, uh, with Satanists here, uh, a group of Satanists. Um, we see them all put on their black robes. They sit in a circle around the table that has the pentagram drawn on it. Uh, you know, and, and they just go into a, a basic chant. They don't really get too deep into that particular meeting. Uh, that scene just ends with everybody chanting, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. You know, the, the basic Satanist bullshit that people that bothers people like me who actually know about the, the temple, uh, the Satanic temple. But like I said, that's a story for another podcast. We'll move on. Um, so after the, the meeting of the of the Satanists, uh, we get a flashback to the first uh, day that Henry or not the first day that Henry and Shannon met, but the day that Henry told Shannon she was pregnant. Um, it's very obviously a flashback because Shannon's, you know, dressed differently and, you know, she, she's thinner, obviously she's not pregnant. Um, and the doctor just kind of, you know, lets her know that she's pregnant. She's not happy about it. She lets him know that the dad is out of the picture and he's been gone for a long time to the point that she even makes the comment. I don't even think I got his real name. Uh, so basically, you know, this was a one night stand that turned into a pregnancy. Uh, Henry starts asking her some basic questions about family. And then she lets him know that, well, there's not really much family to speak of. You know, I don't have any family here locally and the father is out of the picture. So instantly you see Henry's like demeanor kind of change. And then he sends an instant message to his wife basically saying, I think I found the one. And so obviously it looks like this, like Mike said earlier, this is definitely something that these folks have been planning for a while uh, probably since just a few days after the death of their grandchild. Uh, we don't have any real context of how long it's been. I don't think they tell us specifically. Um, there is a story later on, though, that does show us that some time has passed, but that's uh, that's, a, that's a little bit later, so we'll get to that. Yeah, based on, I would say, just from the distance between how far along she was in the meeting and where she is now, it's got to have been at least five, six months. 
Oh, I'd say more. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I and I, I was trying to say how long it's been since Jackson died because Jackson could have died long before he met Shannon. They don't really give us that kind of context, like you know, a, you know, a date or anything like that. But I mean, yeah. I mean, most women probably, uh, most women obviously find out in the first trimester that they're pregnant. Some of them are only a month pregnant. Some might be two or a little bit farther along. So. Yeah, I would probably say this is minimum six or seven months after the meeting, but it's probably even longer, potentially years since uh, uh, their grandson died. Um, but like I said, they don't really point it out. So it's up to the viewer. You make up your own timeline, whatever makes you happy. Um, so like I said, at that point, Henry decides that she's the one. And Henry pulls out his cell phone and asks her if he could take a picture he explains it away by saying that he's getting old and sometimes his memory isn't as sharp as it used to be. Um, but what he's actually doing is he's taking her picture and then they take that picture and they frame it in a frame that's labeled mommy and they put it in the captivity room. Uh, I'm not sure if that's for her to be comfortable or just so that the baby knows who his what his mother looked like. I don't know. It, it's a weird motivation for that. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um so let's see. So at that point, uh, Shannon wakes up one day spitting blood or one night. Uh, she wakes up spitting blood and the couple are standing around her in their black robes and they're actually chanting. And the chant is actually in English. And you can tell that they're basically inviting an entity into their house. Um, obviously, they want it to be their grandson, Jackson. But as we've learned from countless occult movies, you can't control who you summon when you summon someone. You know, you can't someone summon someone specific. You just summon whoever happens to be listening at the time that you're doing the rituals. So, um, so yeah, that, that'll end up biting them in the ass a little bit later. But again, we got some time till that. Um, during this ritual, we see a human heart, uh, an actual human heart. Um, inside of a pentagram on the floor, we see it actually start to ignite as uh, Audrey and Henry are reading the passages from inside the ancient book. Uh, you know, we see the heart on the floor. We see, you know, they're speaking the words. The lights in the room start to flicker. And then suddenly the image of Jackson appears. Once again, you know, the little blonde boy from earlier. Um, once they both notice that Jackson is in the room with them, they actually tell him, Jackson, take the baby, go ahead, do it, take the baby. But as they say that, uh, a large demon appears behind Audrey with some kind of like bird or vulture skull face, you know, over his head or that was his head. I don't know. Like I said, they, it's the only time we see this particular demon. So, you know, take it as you will. As the demon is in the room, uh, the camera pans over to the mommy picture um, that I mentioned earlier, the picture of Shannon. And we actually see an upside down red cross start appearing on the picture. And earlier, before they before the couple started the ritual, they actually had a bowl of blood next to the bed where they drew an upside down cross on her forehead. So basically, the picture is now matching kind of what we're seeing in, in the real world. Um, after uh, the ritual ends abruptly, you know, it doesn't seem like much comes of it. That night, Henry wakes up to the no to the sound of Audrey flossing her teeth, 
at the adjacent bathroom right next to him. So he's lying in bed and he looks over to the open bathroom door where he sees Audrey flossing her teeth. Um, he starts telling her, you know, starts talking to her about, you know, uh, maybe we didn't do it right or, you know, potentially, you know, he even makes a joke about, oh, we knew that there would be uh, some side effects and blah, 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 because he doesn't, for some reason, Henry doesn't feel very good. Um, but Audrey doesn't reply. She just continues flossing her teeth in front of the mirror. Uh, but then suddenly the phone rings and on the phone is Audrey talking to Henry, telling him to come downstairs and help her with the groceries. At that moment, you know, he instantly realizes that that's not Audrey in the bathroom if she's on the phone. Suddenly we see uh, this person turn around and what she's doing is she's flossing her teeth so hard that she's actually sawing individual teeth out of her mouth so that when she actually turns around and faces the camera, she only has a few teeth left in her mouth. Her jawline is all decimated from missing teeth. And as she walks towards the bed, towards Henry, individual teeth continue falling out of her mouth, leaving almost like a breadcrumb trail behind her. Um, of course we get, you know, your, your expected jump scare of her attacking Henry as she attacks Henry, uh, the real Audrey walks into the bedroom and, you know, tries to calm him down, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and that's pretty much the end of that scene. Um, the next day at work, Henry gets a visit from a detective, a female detective who's investigating the disappearance of Shannon. Um, while she's there questioning the doctor, she asks about that day, the day that she went missing when she was supposed to come in for a, um, uh, an appointment. He tells her that, oh yeah, uh, she had, she had rescheduled her appointment, um, either by phone or email, but then his receptionist was there and she corrects him instantly. She's like, oh no, doctor, that's not what happened. Do you remember? You said that you saw her walking that morning. And then the doctor, of course, stutters his words and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm very sorry. Yes, that is exactly what happened. I saw her um, walking that morning and she told me that she wasn't going to make the appointment. So she rescheduled. Uh, the detective takes all, uh, takes all that information down, thanks the doctor for his time and leaves that night. Or should I say uh, Henry then calls Audrey to let her know that, hey, there was a, tech, uh, a detective in the office today uh, looking for um, Shannon. Audrey basically goes over the plan with him again and says, look, we thought about every contingency. You know, they're, they're going to see that, um, you know, that she met a guy um, earlier, blah, blah, blah. I, I had forgotten to mention, folks, that in the scene where Audrey took Shannon's cell phone, she actually... Um, unlocked her cell phone and actually set up a date with a guy on like a, you know, one of those dating, like a, uh, what do you call it? I'm so married. I don't even know what that fucking uh, Tinder. Is that it? The swipe <laughs> left and right app. <laughs> I, I feel like yeah. I'm fucking old. <laughs> anyway. Um, so basically it's like a Tinder type dating app. She ends up um, Audrey, under the guise of Shannon, ends up making an appointment or, or like a date with this guy for later that afternoon. So that sets up an alibi for where Shannon may have been. Sorry about missing that. So anyway, um, 
let's see back here uh so after um after audrey tells henry there's nothing to worry about henry informs audrey that he made a mistake and that he kind of went off the plan a little bit and had to kind of stutter his words and had to come up with an excuse and ended up telling the police officer that uh he did see her that morning and that she was walking Audrey admonishes him for not sticking to the plan. Once again, we see how Audrey's kind of the ringleader in this whole thing, and Henry is the one who keeps cracking under pressure and fucking up the plan, but uh, thus far, they're still kind of in a safe place. So, that evening, um, Audrey is uh, Audrey's with Shannon by herself in the house, and she gets a knock on the door, and, you know, she's not expecting company, so she, she doesn't know who's at the door. She walks downstairs, opens the door and it's a little girl in a ghost costume. And, and I mean like the traditional ghost costume, a sheet with two eye holes cut out of it. Boom. Ghost costume. Um, she opens the door. The little girl says trick or treat. And the woman, you know, kind of admonishes the little girl saying, what are you doing? You know, um, she she doesn't specifically say it's not Halloween, but it's very obvious that it's not Halloween. So she actually, you know, like I said, talks down to the little girl and says, what are you doing? Why are you knocking on people's doors? This is very disrespectful. And she closes the door. The instant that she closes the door, she hears a knock on the back door of the house. Uh, she goes to the back door, opens it, and there's the little girl in the ghost costume again saying trick or treat. Uh, this time, Audrey doesn't say anything. She just closes the door in her face. But then she looks over to her left, where there is a closed door inside of her house. It's not, it's not an exterior door. It's like a door just between two rooms, but it's a glass door. And she actually sees the silhouette of the ghost child on the other side of that door. Uh, suddenly, the door opens by itself. It's a sliding glass door. It opens by itself. And Audrey gets scared and runs upstairs. She goes upstairs and she goes to call Henry to try to get a hold of him, but uh, the ghost is now in her house and is basically running around. Like Audrey's upstairs at the top of the stairs on the phone trying to get a hold of Henry, and she's watching as this little ghost in a ghost costume, go figure, very meta. Uh, is basically, you know, running around her house, running around her living room, changing position, blah, blah, blah. Um, then she ends up going to the little mini elevator that's inside their house. Um, I guess trying to go back upstairs, uh, to where, to the room where Shannon is. And as the, the elevator comes up from the basement, she sees the ghost in the elevator. The thing is, is as the elevator is coming up, the ghost is growing in size. So it, it starts out as a little girl, um, and then just starts getting taller and taller and taller until the elevator is completely at that level, at the level that Audrey's standing at. The door opens and suddenly an eight foot tall person under a ghost costume, still holding their little plastic pumpkin with their candy, continues saying trick or treat. Obviously, this time in a much deeper voice, much more menacing, you know, trick or treat, basically chasing her around the house. Um, 
that's probably like my second favorite horror gag in the in the in the movie. I just love the way they did that. Again, not the most original thing ever. We've seen spirits shape, uh, excuse me, change shape and size. You know, when they either go into the shadows and come back out or make some kind of other transition. But I just thought it was really effectively done here. Uh, really nice scare with the trick or treat ghost. Another cool thing about this movie is every ghost here has a name. The the something ghost. So we've got the trick-or-treat ghost, we've got the giggling ghost, we've got the suffocating ghost, um, we've got the flossing ghost, which we've already talked about. Um, so yeah, you've got multiple ghosts in this movie, all effective at, at, in various levels. Um, just some really, really cool shit. All right, so after the the whole... Oh, right. Um, finally, at the end, when Audrey finally gets a hold of Henry on the phone... Henry, rather than speaking to her in his normal voice, he just starts repeating trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat, just over and over again. You know, so obviously there's an entity in the house that's, you know, pretty much fucking with everybody in there. So I, I, I always like demons who like to have fun. So, yeah, uh, another ex great example of that here. Um, so let's see. Um, so after after the whole uh trick-or-treat ghost uh we then sh uh, we then see shannon uh back in her room by herself still tied up in her bed and she looks up to a shelf that's above her head and she sees uh the teddy bear um it was established earlier in the film that the teddy bear actually has a camera inside of him so that's how they're able to monitor Shannon, make sure she's not doing anything stupid inside the room when they're not there. Shannon realizes that the teddy bear is their sentry, if you will, for the room. So she shakes the bed until the bear falls off the shelf. But unfortunately, much to Shannon's dismay, just as she um, knocks the bear off the shelf, she then tries to escape her shackles. She's basically handcuffed to a bed. As she's trying to pull her way out of the shackles, she ends up looking down on the floor next to the bed, and she sees a body, uh, basically a dead body of a black gentleman with a plastic bag over his head. So obviously, at, in life, he was killed by suffocation. Uh, but, then he could, but then he springs to action. And what we get is one of those um, Doug Jones or Javier Baudet style contortionist ghosts where he's like crab walking backwards with his head bent backwards looking at you. You know, him changing position, you know, moving like a normal bipedal person, but then switching to the more contorted crab walk. Um, once again, uh, just another effective ghost. And of course, this is the suffocating ghost. During this scene, uh, this ghost actually physically attacks um, Shannon. It, it looks like he actually bites her womb, like, a, like her belly, which is very full. She's obviously, you know, about to pop. They even make the comment earlier that Shannon's due any day now. Uh, when the doctor was talking to the police officer, he says, oh, she's due any day now, so I'm worried about her. Um but yeah, like I said, the suffocating ghost bites down on her belly, almost like he's trying to get to the child inside of her. Um, but just as he bites down on her, um, let's see, uh, Henry appears. And, um, or I, I'm sorry, Audria comes first. I'm very sorry. Um, during the attack, during the suffocating ghost attacking Shannon in the bed, Audrey is the first mm -hmm. one that walks into the bedroom and she actually sees the suffocating ghost. 
and the ghost gets off of Shannon and gets on the floor and actually gets into his little crab walk position, contorts himself, and then he goes to attack Audrey. Audrey backpedals out into the hall, outside of the bedroom, into the hall, into Henry's awaiting arms, and then at that point, the suffocating ghost disappears. Henry doesn't see it. At this point, I don't think Henry's seen any of the ghosts, but... um, uh, like I said, Audrey is pretty. Audrey and Shannon have pretty much seen them all. So, well, no, wasn't he confronted by the one that sawed its teeth off? Oh, right, the the flossing ghost. I'm very sorry. Yes, he did see the flossing yeah. ghost at this point. All right, so yeah, so everybody has seen a ghost at this point. <laughs> Poor Audrey has seen multiple. So yeah. Um. So let's see. Um. After the suffocating ghost scene. Uh, we get a flashback of Shannon of one of the times that Shannon was walking by the Walsh's house. And uh, the doctor actually makes the comment, ah, on time, as usual. You know, she always walks by their house at the exact same time every morning, which, of course, you know, gives them the idea for, you know, kidnapping her and doing whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, Well, obviously, at this point, you know, we've already seen the Satanists. We already know that they are trying to bring Jackson back using Shannon's baby as a host body. Um, But obviously, I mean, God, the the whole time I'm thinking, you two are intelligent people. What the hell made you think this would work? Like, what makes you think the devil is a trustworthy character that he's actually going to just give you Jackson back? You know, it always makes me laugh when, you know, people underestimate a demon in one of these movies. But, you know, what can you do? Especially it's like you're not it's not like you're even a scholar on all this stuff anyway mm-hmm. like, it's just like well this is what we want to do okay here's our here's our spell book let's start do like are you sure are you confident in what you're doing exactly yeah um so let's see where are we so after the flashback of shannon walking by the walsh's house uh, we see Audrey and Henry outside enjoying a cup of coffee or tea, whatever, and they notice that there's crows all over their house. Not all over, but there's a few crows around. And they both make the realization that these crows have started showing up ever since uh, they did the original ritual, uh, when they tried it the first time. Uh, Audrey asks Henry, do you think it's because of what we did? And Henry reassures her, yes, it's absolutely because of what we did. There's no other explanation how there's suddenly a murder of crows outside our house, you know? So, yeah. Um, At this point, Rory shows up again, the helpful neighbor who was plowing their driveway. Um, But Henry explains to Rory that, oh, no, I've been trying to call you. I called your wife to let her know that we wouldn't be needing your services anymore. And Henry uh, confesses to, excuse me, Rory confesses to Henry that he actually hasn't been home in a while. His, his, he, he and his wife have separated. They're in the process of getting a divorce. She's leaving him. And, you know, he's kind of telling this in kind of a sob story type thing, almost like he's just trying to get a sympathy job from Henry to, you know, go ahead and plow his driveway. But then out of nowhere, Rory, you know, kind of comes to his senses and says, what am I doing? You guys don't need this in your life. Me giving you all this sadness and everything that's wrong with me. Um, But he does say that he's going to he's going to plow their driveway one last time on the house just as a goodwill thing. Um, uh, Henry obviously tries to, you know, 
convince him not to do it, but he's like, no, no, you're not going to change my mind. If this is the last time we're going to see each other, I'm giving you a free plow, blah, blah, blah. And um, finally, uh, Rory actually sees Audrey and he, and he gets her attention because um, he wants to say hi and wants to see, you know, wants to say he's glad that she's feeling better. Because don't forget, Henry lied in the earlier scene saying that Audrey wasn't feeling well. Um, Rory, like I said, he decides, um, you know, to plow their driveway. As he's plowing their driveway, Audrey and Henry are talking to each other very quietly at a level that Rory definitely would not be able to hear their conversation. And they're they're basically talking about, oh, you know, again, did we do that? Did we do it right? I mean, are we on the right path? Did we do something wrong? Did we fuck it up completely? Why are we seeing all these ghosts that aren't Jackson? Like they're seeing Jackson, but they're also seeing the whole cabaret of other ghosts that we've been talking about. So um, but then out of nowhere, Rory looks up at them and with a big smile on his face, just says, no, guys, you did it right. Jackson's in there. And obviously, Audrey and Henry both react, you know, very shocked, like, what the hell? How would he know? <laughs> and, and then Rory just kind of looks at him, smiles, waves one last time and sticks his fucking head in the snowblower into the blade part of the snowblower. He turns the snowblower upside down off camera and then just sticks his fucking head right in there. Very M. Night Shyamalan, the happening. But, you know, we'll ignore that movie. Uh, but it's still a, a great scene because it just comes absolutely out of nowhere. Rory is just plowing their driveway, happy, no, you know, not a care in the world. And then suddenly he's like, no, no, you did it right. Jackson's in there. Boom. I'm going to stick my head in a fucking snowblower. So not the goriest scene ever. It's not the most visceral scene. We see a little bit of blood sprayed on the snow, but it's just more of the shock value. It just because it fucking comes out of nowhere. It's so great. Uh, and like I said, everybody in this movie dies with a smile on their face. So I don't know. Apparently, these demons all have a uh, great sense of humor. Who knows? Um, so after that, um, basically, uh, Audrey explains the whole situation, the whole backstory to Shannon about what happened to Jackson. As it turns out, um, the family, all four of them, the grandparents, plus Audrey's daughter and Jackson, the grandchild, were all driving somewhere. They got into a car accident. Unfortunately, Jackson died instantly. He died right away, whereas the mom was paralyzed and uh, lived through the accident. But she was obviously a shell of her former self. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, she stayed home and she was she was wheelchair bound after the accident um, basically depressed. Um, it's a very sad backstory. Granted, not sad enough uh, for Audrey and Henry to be doing all the shit that they're doing, but it's still a sad story. So I'll, I'll you know, I'll give them a little bit of sympathy there. Um, and then um, Audrey talks about, you know, the mom just basically couldn't handle it. You know, her mental capacity or her mental faculties have had kind of deteriorated over the time since Jackson's death. And we eventually see uh, the mom, Audrey's daughter, Jackson's mom, uh, basically bring her wheelchair right up to the elevator in the house and just let herself fall right into the uh, open shaft, the elevator shaft. And, you know, we assume she dies there because that's the last that we see of the daughter. Blah, blah, blah. Um, at, 
then we see Henry outside burying uh, Rory's body parts. Uh, somehow he basically dismembered Rory. So, you know, his body is in pieces and separate smaller body bags. He's not on his property. He's off his property out in the woods. Uh, forgot to mention that, that they live kind of in a, you know, uh, forested area not not forest but it's a really nice neighborhood with some trees around but anyway uh yeah, like I property said, this property yeah let's go with that so uh so like i said we see henry burying rory's body parts and then he receives a call from the the detective uh the detective basically says you know i was thinking about the story you told me the other day about shannon walking by your house the morning that she disappeared, and I, w I was hoping that I could visit and ask your wife, you and your wife, a few more questions. Um, Henry obviously tries to kind of blow it off and say, well, why don't we meet tomorrow at my office? But the detective is kind of adamant about wanting to do it today. So then he's like, well, how about I meet you at the office in about an hour? And then the detective out of nowhere just says, well, no, I actually am. I'm in your neighborhood already. I figured I'd just stop by. See you in a few minutes. Click. And she just basically informs him <laughs> that she's about to have a surprise visit at his house and then just disappears. Um, so Henry, in what could be you know, perceived as a comedic moment, Henry just starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Uh, obviously, the pressure's getting to Henry. He's pissed off that it seems like now they've got a detective on their tail, potentially very close to solving this. So at that point, Henry just drops what he's doing. So some of Rory's body parts are still exposed above the snow, but... He's he he needs to get home before the detective gets there. Unfortunately, when Henry. Oh, and there's one thing I forgot to mention in in the interim, while Henry is uh, running back to his house, mm -hmm. Shannon actually makes an offer to Audrey, basically telling her, I, I, you know, I don't agree with what you guys are doing, but this is my child and I still want to be a part of its life. So are you planning on killing me? Because if you're not, I would like to offer my, you know, I, I would like to still offer to raise the child for you. You two are an older couple. You're not going to be able to care for this child for its full 18 years before it's an adult. So, you know, why don't, why don't you just let me, you know, raise it since it is technically my child, even though she calls it Jackson, just to appease Audrey while she's talking to it. She still calls her baby Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, and Audrey's not a hundred percent convinced. I mean, um, you know, Audrey's smart enough to know that uh, the victim might um, fuck with you or try to play with your emotions or your sympathies, things like that. So, like I said, Audrey is not completely trusting of her, but she says that she will talk to um, her husband to see if it's something that he might agree with. And Audrey, uh, excuse me, Shannon even says, you can keep me locked in a room. I don't care as long as I'm still part of Jackson's life, blah, blah, blah. So then we see Henry running home and he actually gets home. And when he gets home, he sees the detective's car in the driveway. He runs into the house, runs upstairs and sees his wife face down on the floor in handcuffs with the detective standing above her. 
as Henry walks into the room, and uh, and she's in the captive bedroom, mind you. So Shannon's there, tied to the bed. Uh, Audrey's on the floor, handcuffed. Henry walks in. The detective pulls her gun on Henry, uh, basically announces that you are under arrest for the kidnapping of Shannon, blah, blah, blah. And But then Shannon suddenly starts getting violent, not violent, but adamant that she wants to get untied. Please let me go. Please let me go. Get me out of this bed, blah, blah, blah. The detective over and over again is like, it's all right. It's all right. We've got him, blah, blah, blah. But then the detective gets that big old grin on her face that's starting to look familiar in this movie and looks at Shannon and says... Uh, I actually wrote down the line. Where is it? God damn it. Uh, oh, uh, no, that's that one. Where the hell did I put that line? Oh, there it is. Uh, Shannon, uh, excuse me, the detective looks at Shannon and says, I just have to do this one thing. And she puts a gun in her mouth and blows her own fucking head off. So obviously we're getting some uh, demonic protection here for this whole ritual in Jackson. Because it seems like any time someone is getting close to the family and might potentially expose the plan, suddenly they happily, with a smile on their face, kill themselves. So, mm. yeah, very, very, very cool scene. Nice um, and twisted, twisted stuff. Yeah, and, and I'm really liking that all the suicides in this movie just come out of nowhere. It's not like we see these people, you know, getting ready to do it or whatever. It's just like out of nowhere, they just smile and kill themselves. Or they, they smile, they say one line, one cryptic line, and then they kill themselves with a smile on their face. So, yeah, very cool kind of dynamic to this whole thing. All right, so after, um, after the death of the police officer, we, uh, we see Ian. Um, Ian is back in the picture, and as it turns out, it looks like Audrey and Henry invited Ian over to the house. Ian then realizes that they actually did find the book that Henry asked for earlier, and he asks if he can look at it. Um, Ian starts asking them, well, what did you perform? What did you do? from this book um they they start to explain everything that they did why they did it ian basically lets them know well you guys fucked up uh you didn't complete the ceremony you only did half of it all you did was invited the spirit into the house it, you know you, you have to actually guide them to the host body blah 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 uh, so Ian basically, um, you know, af after they realize that Ian's probably right, that they fucked up the ceremony or haven't completed it yet, they ask Ian, are you, you know, can you assist us with completing the ritual? Ian says, yes, of course. He actually says it kind of like an asshole. Basically, you know, of course I can do it. I've been preparing my whole life for this shit. So obviously it doesn't seem like Ian has actually done anything, you know, um, supernatural like he hasn't cast any spells or you know done any incantations or anything like that but he's obviously been studying the majority of his life because you know he's adamant that he's ready that even though he hasn't done it he can do it so so yeah he, he, he sees the moment yeah exactly all right so um after that uh they take ian upstairs to the captive bedroom they show they show him, you know, uh, Shannon lying in the bed unconscious. They, sh you know, they show him, you know, the pentagram that they drew on the floor, how they did it, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, Ian is still adamant that, yes, I can finish this ritual, blah, blah, blah. But, 
you can kind of tell that there's something up with Ian. Like I actually, I actually wrote down in my notes is Ian the devil. Like I was convinced that it was going to turn out Ian was actually kind of masterminding this whole thing from kind of from the outskirts. Yeah. I had kind of suspected the same thing. I didn't know he was the, I didn't think he was the devil, but I had really started to suspicion to question where he was coming from right around here. Exactly. Cause he looked, and kind of changes demeanor where he has like more of a blank slate on his face. Yes. Yeah. And with those black eyes, it's just so yeah. menacing. Like no yeah. expression and black eyes. It's like, ugh. <laughs> and, and who knows? I mean, he might be wearing contacts because he looks like that kind of douchey Satanist that would wear blackout contacts just to freak people out. So I don't know. But, you know, he is a, a little standoffish. You know, uh, we get a quick scene of him in his basement collecting up materials because uh, basically what happens is after he convinces Audrey and Henry that he can uh, pr- uh, complete the ritual, uh, he basically tells them, OK, the deal is I get to keep the book once we're done and I want ten thousand dollars. And, you know, and of course, Henry and Audrey agree uh, they have no use for the book once they get Jackson back. And, you know, uh, they have plenty of money, obviously, from looking at their house. So why Ian only asks for 10000 is beyond me. But, you know, what are you going to do? So uh, Ian basically leaves the house, uh, goes back to his own place to collect up other books, materials, other things that he's going to need. Salt. He mentions, you know, needing to get some kosher rock salt. We've all seen it in, in you know, ghost and demon movies before where people will create a ring of protection uh, from rock salt that spirits can't cross, blah, blah, blah. Or shield. Yes. Or anything. We'll, we'll yeah. Absolutely. Um, we get a scene of Henry uh, in the bedroom with Shannon just kind of watching her, almost like he's guarding her waiting for Ian to come back. And then that's when Audrey then makes the same offer to Henry that, excuse me, I'm very sorry. I'm confusing my names. Shannon, the captive then makes the same offer to Henry that she made earlier to Audrey offering her services to be a mother, uh, everything else. Um, it's very obvious that Audrey hasn't spoken, uh, to uh hen uh, yeah audrey hasn't spoken to henry about that so it's very obvious that uh basically audrey has no intention of allowing shannon to live and be mother to this child because henry has no idea what she's talking about you know he hasn't heard of that before audrey hasn't spoken to her blah 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 so there you go um let's see after that ian ends up coming back with all of his materials um, oh, and we also get a scene, uh, the, the scene of Ian in the basement of his own house, collecting up all his materials. That's when we get some black metal. So yeah, uh, once a very stereotypical, we get a Satan worshiper who listens to black metal. How original. Yeah, Love no it. way. <laughs> the biggest shock of the movie. But, but I, but I guess in like the, in hindsight, it, it's good. They didn't try to do anything too cutesy. Like, oh, look, he's listening to Britney Spears. Ha ha. Oh, how God, funny. Yeah. No, no, no. I'd rather the black metal. At least that makes sense. I mean, especially because a lot of black metal bands actually sing about Satan and, you know, shit like that. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense that he's a fan, whatever. It's, you know, it's basic bitch, but it makes sense. So whatever. I'll take it. Um, So like I said, uh, you know, Ian collects up all his materials. He ends up going back to the house. Um, 
we get a cool scene where when he walks into the bedroom after returning, right behind him is the detective who already killed herself earlier, the the black woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, She actually follows him into the room, says her line again, I just got to do this one thing, and uh, blows her head off again, and then we see her body get dragged away magically. Like, we don't see someone pulling the body away. The body just kind of goes away. And that's going to that's gonna repeat, like, four or five times uh, over this third act of the film, and I fucking love it. I, it is so awesome. It keeps everybody, like, um, on edge, because she's constantly... Like I said, it's not even, like, sneaky or, like, she's trying to be scary. She just nonchalantly walks into the room... I just got this one thing to do and boom, just blows her head off again. So it's almost like their souls or some relic of it is stuck in like a purgatory type state where it just keeps repeating their death. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the grudge. You remember in the grudge, how they talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, when a, when a very passionate crime occurs, it leaves a stain. I guess that's kind of what they're trying to show us here is that her suicide, which obviously isn't a suicide, something made her do it. Is, and she's now, you know, forced to repeat it over and over again. So, yeah, that is a very cool aspect. I did like that. And just how nonchalant he, she is about it and just very casually. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to blow my head off over and over again. Cool. All right. So <laughs> um, so when when the police officer or the ghost of the police officer shoots her shoots herself in the head again ian accidentally breaks the salt line walking into the room and this is something that ian was adamant about that they couldn't do he even told them multiple times don't break the salt line you know once i pour it down don't break it but then ian because he got scared of these uh the suicide ghost if you will um, you know, he broke the salt line himself. We see this. No one else sees it. Uh, Ian doesn't notice it, and the couple doesn't notice it, but the director, you know, took care to show us that, yes, he broke that salt line. At that point, they start the ritual. Uh, they start completing the ritual, and as they're reading the passages from the book, uh, the detective just continues to walk into the room, say her line, and blow her head off. And then you see her body magically get dragged away. So, uh, uh, like I said, Henry, he hands the book to Henry and Audrey, since they were the ones who actually read the passages the first time. Uh, They now have to read it again, uh, or they have to finish. They're the ones who have to read the passages to complete the ceremony. Um. So we see them, you know, continuing to, you know, read different aspects of it. At one point, they end up taking a break and they go, uh, basically, Ian goes outside to have a smoke before they continue the ritual. And uh, at this point, Ian hands Henry um, like a box of dead mice. There's like a few, there's like four or five dead mice that he hands them. And he basically instructs Henry to place the dead mice in his yard in a certain way, facing a certain way in a certain position so that it adds an extra level of protection to the house while they're completing the ritual. So um, Henry, you know, ends up going back into the house and we see Ian place the last mouse in the ba- in the yard. You know, he, he changes the position slightly so that it's facing the exact right way. And then they're ready to go. Uh, we go back into the house. Shannon is uh, 
once again, you know, trying to be nice to Audrey. Uh, this time she asks her, oh, I'd like to send my mother a picture of the baby if that's possible. Um, at this point, Shannon realizes that Audrey never spoke to Henry about her offer. So she's very aware at this point that, you know, she's dead. She's about to be, they're mm -hmm. going to take the baby and they're just going to sacrifice her, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we see her basically try to get out of her handcuffs again, like she did earlier when she first ran into the suffocating ghost. But this time she actually is able to get one of her hands out of the handcuffs. Um, she's in the process of trying to get the other hand free when Audrey uh, suddenly walks into the bedroom, but doesn't notice that she's free. Uh, you know, she does that thing where she puts her hand near the handcuff, so it still looks like she's shackled, but she's not. And then what she does is she grabs a glass of water off the end table next to her. She pours it between her legs in the bed and then throws the glass or, or breaks the glass against the, ta the end table purposely to make a, a sharp weapon. Audrey walks into the bedroom and Shannon starts screaming, my water broke, my water broke. Basically try to convince her that the baby is coming. Uh, she sees, you know, Audrey sees that the bed is wet. Uh, she still thinks that Shannon is, um, you know, shackled. So she leaves the room to go get Henry and Ian so that they can complete the ritual. Um, let's see. Ian, oh, right, uh, when they're outside, I'm, I'm very sorry, uh, when Ian and Henry are outside, they actually get a phone call, or Henry gets a phone call from the woman who was running uh, the satanic meeting that they went to, and um, basically Henry ends up calling, uh, calling her back, like he doesn't answer the phone when she first calls, she basically, um, you know, uh, we'll, let, we're gonna, we'll get to that. So let me hold off on that with Henry calling her back. Uh, they get back up to the bedroom, up to the captive bedroom. Um, Shannon is in the bed pretending to be in labor, to you know, pretending to be going through contractions. And then Ian continues his ritual, uh, or the ritual, I should say. But um, as Ian is reading passages in the book, Henry and Audrey start to get the odd feeling that he's not actually doing the ritual that they want him to <clears throat> you know he's he's continuing to read passages we see the we see the pentagram that was drawn on the floor start to kind of sizzle a little bit start to ember if you will um but ian continues reading finally um the woman from the uh the satanist meeting uh, she continues calling for some reason. Finally, she gets a hold, or, or Henry finally answers the call and starts to ask her for help. But And that's when we learn that the, that the woman who was running this uh, whole Satanist meeting doesn't believe in any of this shit at all. She basically admits... You know that she she doesn't believe in Satanism. She was just doing it because it was because you know it felt cool, counterculture, whatever you want to go with. Um, so yeah, so she's absolutely no help. Ian continues reading passages from the book while Henry and Audrey's suspicion continues going up that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's doing something else. We see Ian take his shoes off. And he actually, with a pocket knife, he carves up upside down crosses onto the bottoms of his feet. 
So as he walks towards the bed, he's leaving upside down cross bloodstains on the floor, a trail of them behind him. Um, basically, as, uh, as he continues reading, Henry and Audrey are more and more convinced that, uh, that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. They, they keep interrupting him. They keep asking him questions like, how do we know, you know, how do we know uh, Jackson's going to be in there when you're done? And he says, because he fucking will be. He starts getting really <laughs> adamant about getting interrupted. Every time Henry interrupts him, he gets louder and louder and says, you know, don't, you know, don't, inter don't interrupt me. Finally, as Audrey um, bends down near the bed to make sure that um, Shannon is okay, Shannon pulls out the broken glass uh, that she broke earlier and puts it up to Audrey's neck, and basically threatening to kill Audrey. She basically says, unshackle me, undo my chains, or I'll slit her throat right here. She's got the broken glass right up to her neck. Ian... Uh, basically is adamant, do not let her go, do not let her go. We see Henry unlock the shackles around her her legs. Ian runs towards the bed, ties Shannon back up on the bed, ties her hands back up anyway, and then when Audrey protests, Ian stabs her in the midsection. Um, at this point, we realize that Ian is no longer, uh, it, it, we get the confirmation, I should say, that Ian is not trying to complete the ritual for Henry and Audrey. Ian is trying to summon the devil himself, mm -hmm. um, which is a tall task when you think about it. I mean, summoning a demon is one thing, but actually summoning the man himself, that's, uh, that's, that's a major undertaking, and I can't imagine that ever has good results. <laughs> and this movie is no different. Um, basically as Ian is kind of continuing to chant in Latin or Aramaic, whatever it is he's reading, uh, suddenly we get a ghost run into the room and grab Ian. And this, according to our end credits, is the giggling ghost, uh, cause that's all he does, <laughs> giggles. Uh, he basically runs into the room giggling. It's basically just your average looking white guy. He's got a wife beater, a white wife beater t-shirt on, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he, like I said, uh, because the salt line is broken, he runs into the room giggling, grabs Ian, and runs out of the room with Ian. We don't actually see where he takes him right away. It just, he takes him out of the room. Audrey, unfortunately, dies on the floor in Henry's arms. Um, Henry's not 100% sure. Uh, shit, what happens to Henry after that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She dies. Yeah, she dies in his arms. Uh, then the suffocating ghost appears again. Uh, you know, the, the ghost with the plastic bag over his head. Um, and he attacks Shannon. Shannon is trying to reach um, the keys for the shackles that got dropped on the floor. Uh, once again, the suffocating ghost continues to attack Shannon. Uh, she's able to get away from him and actually escape the room. Henry at, ends up getting, uh, what? He ends up getting stabbed from behind, right? Because he tries to help. Oh, no! No, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, he gets, he gets oh, uh, possessed. Way better. Uh, basically... Yeah. Henry goes to walk towards Shannon 
to try to help her escape the house because now he's having a change of heart, obviously, because of Ian's treachery. And suddenly he spits blood out of his mouth. Blood comes out of his mouth, almost like he got stabbed in the back. But then he falls down on the floor uh, face first. And what we see is something start to crawl out of his back, literally like uh, very, very like uh, like demons. Um, if you remember that scene in Demons where that one demon climbs completely out of one of the people's bodies, mm-hmm. it looks a lot like that. Um, but we don't see who who or what came out of Henry's body right away. Um, at this point, Shannon gets out of the bedroom. She starts walking around the house, and she basically runs into every ghost that we've seen in the movie thus far. First, she runs into the giggling ghost because he's out in the hall. He's right outside the bedroom uh, dealing with Ian. I'm not sure what he's doing to Ian. Did anybody else think he was fucking Ian's dead body? Did you I notice? Was, I thought he was either doing that or like jerking off or something. Because like I was like, "What the? Yeah, it looked doing something sexual." Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. So... I, I was. Mm-hmm. No, I was just saying it, it was definitely something sexual, but I couldn't tell for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, because he was kind of in the in the motions, like he was having intercourse. Yeah. With the mo- the movements that you see are definitely indicative, but it's not like you get a clear enough or like even like a bright enough example for sure. Exactly, yeah. So that's the first ghost that Shannon runs into during her escape. Then when she gets downstairs, uh, she sees um, the flossing ghost and the little kid trick-or-treat ghost, the small version of the trick-or-treat ghost, uh, basically having some kind of interaction. The flossing ghost is obviously still flossing, but she's bending down and looking at the trick-or-treat ghost uh, right in the eyes. Like I said, almost like they're having a conversation, but she's still, you know, sawing away at her at her teeth, you know, sawing uh, teeth out of her mouth, blah, blah, blah. Then they both turn and they notice uh, Shannon standing there. Luckily, Shannon is standing right next to the back door, uh, which is open. So she opens the back door. She goes to finally escape the house. But there is the tall trick-or-treat ghost waiting for her, uh, for her outside, all eight feet of him, standing right off, right just off the porch. So she, he's not right in front of the door when she opens it. He's a few feet away from it, like, walking onto the porch. She freaks out, closes the door, and runs back in the house, which instantly I'm screaming at her, what the fuck are you doing? How do you run back into this house? I, I I don't care. You were outside. I mean, you could like maybe do some juking and jiving and, and get past the tall trick or treat ghost. I'd rather be outside dealing with one ghost than inside dealing with the other four. So whatever. Poor decision. Uh, obviously done under stress. But what are you going to do after she comes back in the house? Um, finally we see what crawled out from inside Henry's body. And what we have is, again, another tall, very distorted demon, um, a humanoid, you know, bipedal, standing up on its on its legs. But then when we get up to the head, uh, the thing has horns coming out of multiple parts of his head, including its eyes. Uh, the de- This particular demon which uh, from the research that I found, um, they're actually claiming that this is the devil, that this is Satan himself. But, you know, take that with a grain of salt, obviously. 
But either way, it's a cool-ass-looking demon. It's got, like, six horns, and like I said, two of them are coming out of its eye sockets, which, you know, it's a look that I've always kind of been into. Uh, so, like I said, we see this uh, this particular demon, who I guess we can call the devil at this point, uh, continue the chase of Shannon. Fortunately, Shannon uh, is finally able to get out of the house. I don't remember exactly how. Oh, right. She finds um, Dr. Walsh's keys in the kitchen just sitting on the table, and she decides to grab them and just run out of the house which she is able to successfully do. We then uh, go upstairs and we see Henry and Audrey's dead bodies lying next to each other. And then they, they do kind of a cool little thing where uh, uh, pools of blood have developed under both of their bodies. And we actually see the camera very slowly pan toward, uh, excuse me, we see the blood, the two different blood puddles come together and form one blood puddle, which I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of poignant because, you know, Audrey and Henry were obviously in love. They loved each other very much. They obviously loved their grandson even more. And um, I, I just thought that was a nice little closing scene there with for them. Um, after that, we see Shannon actually outside of the house. She's able to get completely out of the house. Uh, she gets into the car. She gets into the doctor's car as she's walking out of the house, there's Rory still fucking plowing the snow, but it's it's Rory's ghost. He's dead. Yeah. His face <laughs> is all torn up because he stuck his head in the snowblower, into the blades of the snowblower. So he's just another ghost to add to the, the growing collection of this house. And he actually... Um, remember earlier I told you that Rory had recently separated from his wife? Uh, the ghost of Rory starts talking to Shannon like it's his wife. He basically starts saying, you can't keep me from my kids, you bitch. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, he's all angry and shit. Obviously, Shannon has no fucking idea who this guy is or what he's talking about. But it's very obvious he's a ghost. So uh, she ends up leaving. So then uh, we get our final scene of the film. And what that is, is... Uh, like I said, Shannon is able to get the keys for Dr. Walsh's car. Uh, she leaves in Henry's car. She starts to drive away. Uh, the music starts to get a little somber, like, you know, she's actually gotten away. But then what happens is as she's driving, she sees the devil in the road. Uh, she sees him. Uh, he crosses the road about halfway so that he's standing right in the middle of the road. And then he looks over at Shannon doesn't really make an expression unfortunately it's a long shot it's not a close-up of the demon uh so we can't really tell what his face is doing but like i said he looks over at shannon and then just turns and continues walking um until eventually he walks completely into the woods and just disappears at this point shannon kind of looks like she has kind of a hopeful look to her face uh, she looks down at her baby. Uh, well, she looks down at her stomach that contains her baby. And she puts her hands on her belly and then just kind of looks up uh, towards the road and closing credits. Very abrupt ending. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there's necessarily any more story to tell so much as there's questions. And I think now is the time for those questions. What do you think, guys? 
Uh, huh. So I assume that the thing she saw on the road was the supposed devil mm-hmm. that got out of the house. And because all along the devil just needed the vessel, now that the devil has the vessel and he's returned to Earth, he there's no reason to even go after her mm-hmm. um, or her unborn child. So that's why that's that abrupt ending. My bigger question is what exactly, because, you know, when she was leaving as you said and she sees the uh kid in the window yep and then it looks like the kid gets like swooped up by something yep. i don't know what exactly he swooped up by or for what purpose so that'd be my bigger question i thought i thought that was i thought that was uh the devil the the, the devil demon because he was still upstairs as shannon was escaping he was still up there mm. so I, I i mean i could be wrong but that's just an assumption i made i i don't know I, I guess that's that's probably a better explanation. Uh, just that the devil, since he has now a, a host body, uh, he doesn't really need the baby anymore. So that's probably why he looked over while he was crossing the road, and then just decided, eh, I'm not gonna fuck with her anymore, and just kept walking. Um, so that's kind of the same assumption that I had made too. I just wish it was a little bit more, a little bit clearer. Um, like I said, I don't have a major problem with this ending. I just kind of, I don't know. Because it's like, because the look on Shannon's face isn't like a happy look. It's not like she's like, oh, good, he's going to leave me alone and my baby will be safe. It's almost like she's still going to live in fear the rest of her life of this thing potentially coming after her. Because um, there is a slight tinge of fear in her eyes that last look. Well, yeah, she still looks afraid for sure. And that's why you, you almost didn't even need that because just her driving off with the whole thing with the kid getting swooped, you're already in a position as a viewer uh, of, well, if it ends here with her driving off, then it didn't really get resolved. She, she somewhat escaped, I guess, but there's everything that was going on in the house. It still yielded what it, what it yielded and it's all going on still so you almost didn't even need that scene in the road to even add like another question i guess that's yeah that's kind of the thing i was thinking too is uh yeah you're right you're 100 percent right i agree with you I, i'm sure not everyone is going to agree with you but yeah i would have been a lot happier just ending the movie with her driving away kind of like the end of a dark song where once the woman is done with her ritual and she sees her guardian angel they just show her driving away and then end credits like I, that works a little bit more for me because then you add that little tiny bit of ambiguity with the demon crossing the street in front of her, almost like he's a black cat or something. So I'm not sure what the hell that was supposed to represent. If that was actually him saying you're free to go, go enjoy your life, go raise your child. Or was it more uh, you better watch your back? You better keep looking over your shoulder. I might be there. <laughs> I, like I said, it, it's up to the individual viewer, but it's ultimately, especially after talking about it here for the last hour and a half, it's a minor nitpick. It, it really, it doesn't really affect my enjoyment of the movie. I just wish it would have had a slightly, ever so slightly more satisfying ending. Don, what do you got on the ending? Yeah, my thing was that it was much more, the devil is around her. But the devil is looking on as her baby is now one of his his minions. That he's going to be watching her to keep the baby safe. Mm. The 
that you know the devil is just walking away like, like okay i'm going to be okay so you're the one i'm going to be keeping my eye on that now the rest of her life is going to be dealt dealt with having to take care of the devil's child yeah the antichrist mm-hmm. <laughs> no i like that i like so that a lot like, so it's like a guard, like a, a guardian demon right they, they <laughs> right the person just watching her is the guardian devil watching over Satan's minion or yeah. whatever. How many how many people can say the devil is their guardian angel? <laughs> That's awesome. No, I like that, Don. I like that a lot. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, that was the way I looked at it. Yeah. Mike's ending, you know, uh, Mike's ending makes just as much sense, but I think I like Don's a little bit better because there's that little bit of menace at the end of like, like I said, you better look, you know, you better, uh, you know, keep keep an eye on your back, uh, you know, look over your shoulder, blah, 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 because I'll be there. But maybe not I'll be there more in a menacing way, so much more like like you were saying, like, that's my child in there. Well, maybe not literally my child, but he belongs to me now. Because yeah, that's that's my my new job now will be looking after what you're carrying. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Whether whether that's what the filmmakers were going for or not, I like that one a lot. So I'm going with Don. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's okay. Like I said, it's it's filmed in a way that's definitely up for yeah. interpretation and probably not on accident. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I mean, and I I always say that I do like a little bit of ambiguity because it it creates conversation. I mean, we because of this ending, we're sitting here talking about it. So there you go. That that's the good thing. It creates conversation. We get different ideas. Like I said, I wasn't thinking about Don's angle at all, but now that I actually hear it laid out, I like that. But uh, listeners, if you've seen the movie as well, please hit us up. Let us know what you take from that ending. You know, is the devil now Shannon's child's guardian angel or did the devil just decide to leave her alone because he has his own vessel or maybe something completely different that we didn't even think about? So, yeah, by all means, hit us up on the Facebook page. Let us know what you think of this and your interpretation of this ending, because I'm very curious to hear it. I'm always down to hear different people's interpretations. So, yeah, don't be shy, folks. None of us bite. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I do if you ask me nicely, but for the most part, I don't bite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's going to wrap things up for this episode. Um, like I said, I alluded to it earlier and it's been mentioned, but uh, we have one more episode of fresh cuts for the calendar year of 2020 and then taking the following week off to do final prep and compile our top 10 lists as well as like honorable mentions and stuff so uh with that uh venom what do you got out new for people to listen to if anything um basically a lot of the same stuff i do have one uh additional thing but just to cover everything uh latest episode of the main show no more room in hell of course is available episode 26 uh where we looked at a couple of subterranean uk horror films uh check that out uh we will be recording our next episode this weekend um hopefully this weekend if we can get everybody together to get one more episode in uh before the end of 2020 that, of course, um, 
Well, not of course, not that anybody knows. I'm announcing it here, but what we're going to do on that episode, obviously podcasts are going to be doing Christmas horror like crazy. So whenever I get the opportunity and it's December, I don't want to talk about Christmas horror. So what I decided is we're going to look at a couple of Evil Dead ripoff movies. Yes, recently I read an article online about the top 10 Evil Dead ripoff movies, and it just got me thinking, hey, this is a whole list of movies that we've never talked about. So I'll be picking uh, two of my favorites. I'll keep that under my hat for now. And we'll be uh, hopefully, like I said, if we can get together this weekend recording that. Um, And then you're going to have one more episode of No More Room in Hell before the end of the year. And that will be our Christmas commentary special. Uh, This year we have decided to look at something that none of us have ever seen. So this is going to be a first time watch for all of us on the commentary uh, we're going to be looking at Sleigh Bells from 2018, uh, basically the story of um, three or four, a group of good-looking women who are forced to do battle against Krampus, and they, of course, recruit the help of old St. Nick himself to help them with their fight. I've heard mixed reviews of the movies. A lot of people... I have fun with it. I like it. That's what, that's what I'm hearing a lot of. A lot yeah, of people I, are saying that it's just it's fun. Yeah, it's not the it's not the greatest. I wouldn't say it's like a spectacular Christmas horror one, but I have enough fun with it. It's goofy enough. It's short enough. Um, there's enough practical gore to be worthwhile. But it, yeah, it, it's it's an okay watch if you want to, you know, get away from the Santa slasher trope. Although you're running into the the Krampus the Krampus factor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a bad it's not a bad watch um uh, it's watchable and it's watchable but it's not an an immediate pressing watch good well no i mean that that sounds like exactly what i'm looking for for a commentary something that's fun something that we can all have fun with maybe have uh some adult beverages and not have to take the episode too seriously if you will um so yeah it sounds like it's just up our alley yeah even if it's not the greatest movie out there If it's fun, I'm happy. And, you know, with Christmas horror, especially Christmas horror that doesn't take itself too seriously, that's all I want. I want a fun movie. It definitely doesn't. Awesome. So, yeah, (laughs) so look out for that. That'll probably drop literally a day or two before Christmas, so look out for that. Um, And then the final episode of the year of No More Room in Hell, the final full episode, will be probably out right around the same time. Uh, Let's see. Um... On In the Mic of Madness, uh, we, we we haven't scheduled our next episode yet, but we have decided to go ahead and finally finish up our Frank Henenlotter retrospective with the three Basket Case movies. We've already done all of his other films, so just Basket Case left, one, two, and three. So look out for that on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network coming soon. That should record next Tuesday, uh, the next episode, and it'll be out shortly after that. On It's Not Horror Okay, uh, on the last episode, which is, you know, still the same episode I mentioned last week, we looked at 1981's Kill and Kill Again, which is the sequel to 1980's Kill or Be Killed, and those are both um, South African martial arts movies, like I said, late 70s, early 80s, so very fun, guilty pleasure type movies. Check that episode out on the Dark Discussions podcast network. And then... The one big thing that I'm very happy to announce, and I'm sure Don is right here with me, is the return of underwater kaiju from outer space. Yes, we had a three or four month hiatus there 
while a couple of the co-hosts, you know, got their life stuff together. You know, we had some major life changes there. And obviously, I'm part of that with all of the health issues that I've had over the last couple of months. So, um, like I said, we finally recorded our episode last night where we looked at my favorite Heisei-era Godzilla film, Godzilla vs. Destoroya. Um, and we continued our Ultraman retrospective with episode 23, My Home is Earth. So you can look out for that. That is available right now. It dropped today. So as you listen to this episode, that is available on the Legion Podcast Network. Um, if you're looking for a specific feed for that show, go ahead and subscribe to Kill the Cast. Um, technically, Underwater Kaiju is a sideshow for Kill the Cast, and it shows up on that feed. So, you know, like I said, subscribe to Kill the Cast, and you'll get all of Jerry Herring's shows, including Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. And then the last thing I'll mention is a guest spot that I did last week on the Cut to the Chase show with Dan Chase and Lacey Liu. We looked at one of my favorite Tim Burton movies, which some people consider a, a Christmas movie, some don't, because technically only the last 25 minutes of the movie takes place during Christmas. But that is, of course, Tim Burton's classic Edward Scissorhands uh, the three of us had a great conversation, talking trivia, talking, you know, just little quirks about the movie, you know, experiences with the film. Tim Burton, we have a, a general Tim Burton conversation as well. So check out Cut to the Chase. I believe that is also on the Dark Discussions podcast network. I That episode has not dropped yet. That'll probably drop either later this week or early next week. So like I said, look out for that. And that's all for me, Mike. Okay. Uh, Don, what do you got? <laughs> well, um, other than the return of Underwater Kaiju, um, the only thing I have is, uh, once again, the episode on Cinema Attack with uh, Derek and those guys where we looked at the first two efforts in the uh, so far released Hotel Inferno series. So, uh, I'm that. Yeah, just uh, Venom's episode, the episode of Underwater Kaiju, and uh, I guess here on Fresh Cuts. Woo! Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, cool. Yeah, as far as me, I ain't got nothing but the main stuff for now. So, um, listen to me there, I guess here and there. Um, so, uh, right. final episode of Fresh Cuts. Any idea what you guys want to do? <laughs> for once, I have no idea. <laughs> I've been I've been doing so much Christmas shopping I haven't really been paying attention to new horror releases. I know stuff has dropped, but I couldn't name one of them. Um, I've looked at a couple, but I don't know if anything that I've seen would be fresh would be uh, fresh cuts worthy. Yeah. Um, I mean the the main one I can think of because I don't know if you want to do a twenty four episode anthology would be um, either December or Ill Final Contagion, because those are, like, two recent recent releases. Yeah, that, that Final Contagion looks interesting. I was going to watch it the other day, and I ended up getting distracted, but that's probably going to be my next 2020 movie that I watch. Yeah, it's a uh, body horror anthology, so... Nice. Hopefully it's not two and a half hours long, like December. No, I think it's, like, an hour <laughs> 40. Perfect. like that. Yeah, um, folks, we had discussed doing Deathcember, 
But for those who don't know, December is two and a half hours long. It can, it's an anthology that consists of 24 individual stories, which means that the walkthrough would have been holy fucking hell for me. So I, luckily we, we work in a genre where there's constantly releases. So, and we all know, I mean, anybody who listens to my shows, you know, I love horror anthologies, especially if they involve Halloween or Christmas. But I'm sorry, I'm not doing 24 individual walkthroughs. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. That that'd be overkill. But, yeah, overkill and unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll figure it out. I mean, there's a handful out there yeah. to choose from, and well, hey, we uh, finished we finished last year with my least favorite movie of the year with fucking Black Christmas 2019. Oh God. <laughs> Let, let's find the worst movie, the worst 2020 we, movie we can find, and end the year with that. <laughs> Corona <laughs> zombies, here we come. Yeah. It's, it's gonna be a. It's gonna be tough to match that episode, but yeah, it's, um, I can't believe it's been a year. I know, crazy, almost to the day. I think it was December nineteenth. We recorded that last year. <laughs> so, uh, let's yeah. see, the worst one I've seen all year. Um, it was a film called "Cry for the Badman." Cry for the? I haven't even heard of that. Wow. Yeah, it's a home invasion film. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, that's that's the worst film I've seen all year. Yeah, I but I'm I saw gonna, that one. I uh, saw that one back in maybe May. Uh, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the uh, what do you call it home invasion subgenre. Like they have to be exceptional for me to really really want to. Well, the other like thing too is that it's well, it's a home invasion in the in the sense that a home is actually targeted. But it's actually the woman defending the defending the home from the invaders the entire movie. She has the upper hand the entire time. Oh, nice. Uh, that might not be bad. More like you're next than, you know, than the strangers, no, let's say. No, it's in the sense that she has shotguns. They have knives. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. She's just prepared. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's a terrible movie. So yeah. I won't watch it. And it stars, <laughs> and it stars Camille Keaton. Oh, hey, callback. Nice. I spit on your grave. Very nice. Yeah, no, she's the one that, she's the home that they're they're targeting. She's like, the she's actually in the film for like 80% of it. Well, shit, stop talking about it, because you're making me want to watch it. Oh, crap. <laughs> and it's terrible. <laughs> oh, man. Because I am, right, I am yeah. a Camille Keaton fan, and if you tell me that she plays a badass who kills home invaders, I'm almost sold. <laughs> almost. Uh, Okay, yeah, if you want to watch it, then go ahead, because... I, I, I probably won't. <laughs> I still got too many 2020 watches, and uh, and then, of course, the rewatches for a week off, so yeah. Alrighty, well, we'll come to a decision probably within the next couple of days. Yep. And mm -hmm. uh, have that last episode. But until then, thanks, listeners. Thanks, Don, for coming back again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we will catch you next time. Adios! Hail Satan! Rewound the clock. Since the Puritans got a shock. When they landed on Plymouth Rock. If today any shock they should try to stem. Instead of landing on
stocking was looked on as something shocking, but now. 